today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, he's not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of man show. Warning, the Catholic man show is about to begin. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam in hand here, sitting in studio. We have a full house tonight. Dave's right next to me. We got Juan on the buttons. We have Jim guarding the door, making sure that no one is going to barge in. And we have a good friend. I can't remember. Maybe this is the fourth, maybe fifth time on the Catholic Man Show. Something like that. Mr. Carlo Broussard. Of all the people that we've ever had on our show, of all of our guests, Carlo, we have recorded with none of them as much as we have recorded with you. Wow. Wow. I am deeply, deeply But yes, because that's true, because we did a whole 17-hour series. I didn't think about that. I forgot about it. So for those who do not know, if you're just crushing, crushing second place as far as like hours recorded on the Catholic Man Show. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. For those who do not know, if you go to patreon.com slash the Catholic Man Show, support us on any level, you have access to a it's a nine part series on St. Thomas's five ways over 17 hours that Carlo and Dave and I did together. Carlo, you wrote uh, notes specifically for us on those five ways. It was 17 hours? It was se- as 17 and a half hours. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know I could We, we got our money's worth out of you. We, we got our, we, we we got our money's one. worth out of you, Carl. Yeah, <laughs> It was a lot, but it was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It it, it helped me a lot. I can watch it because I didn't know I could teach that much. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. really. I I I still think about that sometimes and how helpful that was for me because oh, before we did that, I really didn't know. I knew okay the five yeah. ways. Thomas talks about five different ways, right. but I didn't know what they were or how what the argu- I didn't know what the arguments were really. Yeah. Um, Man, I'm still trying to think through those things. Yeah. You know, in my work and my dissertation with Dr. Gavin Kerr, who's the director. For my dissertation, we, you know, knock heads and on the uh-huh. five ways and stuff. And I'm still learning from that dude. You know, yeah. it's like, gosh, there's just, it's so deep. But it's such a great joy. Doesn't yeah. it just like, it's amazing how smart Thomas Aquinas was. Indeed he you was. You can study his, these texts that he wrote. Yeah. And for your a whole life. Your whole lifetime, and like you're still There's unpacking Thomas them. scholars, man, that just dedicated their entire lives and careers sure. to just unpacking Thomas's text. And he he wrote them, you know, you know, I don't know. It's just like, man, he. Yeah, I would have loved to talk to that guy. He had it, man. 
and yeah. to and to do it at such a young age. I mean, That's he didn't true. have a long time to, to get all that stuff done, but the corpus of writing that he did and accomplished within the short amount of uh, time frame that he mm-hmm. did is just phenomenal. It's it's a it's a divine gift, man. Yeah, that's that's what it was. Yeah, and I, if about he an were here, life, he had to have an order to life to make it happen. Sure, amen to that. But if he were here, he would say it was a gift, right? Absolutely. It's not. It's not like yeah. he picked himself up, and you know, he, that's what he'd say, Adam. Don't I, give me those eyes. No, Don't I, give me those eyes. Like, <laughs> like you think he no, might say something else. Uh, Carla, we also did like two and a half hours of recording with Bishop Condrola this week. That's right. Yeah. So when was that? Was that yesterday? Two days. Two days. Two, two ago. days ago. Two days ago. Yeah. Yes. So two and a half hours with Bishop Condrola on Tulsa time. Yes. <laughs> Which is a lot of fun. Yeah. I can't wait yeah. for that to come out. Yeah. I so. felt like I was becoming an Oklahoma cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you have you seen the logo of that? By the yeah. Way? Well, it's yeah, got the yeah, cowboy, cowboy hat. hat. That's yeah. why I said that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. I uh, so. And I apologize for my voice as well. I like lost it yesterday. So, well, two days ago. Yeah. So I did two and a half hours with Bishop Condrola yeah. and Adam, and my voice was fine. And then after noon, when the code started coming in, I literally lost my voice and could not speak the entire night. And then I had to give a presentation yesterday at the diocesan staff meeting. And five minutes, so I couldn't talk. And five minutes into my presentation, all of a sudden, my voice started coming back. All right. And I was able to do 30 minutes of the presentation with my voice. And then I stopped and then c'est tout fini. It mm-hmm. was gone. Ironically, I started praying about... Four minutes and 42 <laughs> seconds into the presentation. No correlation. I mean, of course, yeah. but. I'm not saying it's causation. <laughs> no, I'm not man. saying that. M- my mom and my sister, they claiming that. <laughs> <laughs> they texted me right away. Did you still have your voice? Did you get your voice back? Like, yes, I got it back. Oh, it's because of our prayers. <laughs> uh, hey, also, you've been uh, very busy working uh, uh, with Catholic Answers, obviously, on a new book. That, yeah. So, uh, what's the title of the new book? Well, it's the, coming out. Yeah, it's not even out yet. It's not even out. We just, I just submitted the manuscript. We're going to start the editing process. Actually, I think they started this week. The working title so far is the new relativism, unmasking the philosophy of woke moralists, and it's planning on coming out in fall of twenty three. That's what we're shooting for. And the idea is the. Uh, the old relativism was basically, you have your truth, I have my truth. The new relativism is basically, you don't have your truth, it's my truth. Yes, and, and, yeah, and that's right. there too. Right. So I go through 10 thy shall nots, 10 modern moral absolutes that are absolute in verbiage, but whenever you unmask it and begin to think through what's behind the absolutism, mm-hmm. it's actually relative absolutism. So rather than absolute relativism, which was the title of Stefanik's booklet mm-hmm. from Catholic Answers, mm-hmm. exposing the the absolutism of relativism, uh-huh. if that makes any sense, yeah, like there is no truth, that's an absolute claim. Right. Mm-hmm. This is exposing the relativism of the absolutism. So taking the absolute claims, thy shall not be a white supremacist within modern culture. Thy shall not be intolerant within modern culture. Uh-huh. Thy shall not impose within modern culture. Thou shall not be anti-science. Thy shall not misinform. Thy shall not be a hateful, judgmental bigot. And whenever you unpack those modern absolutes within modern culture, what you discover it's actually relativism in disguise. And so what I do is I expose the relativistic thinking 
behind these absolutes and then begin to refute the relativistic thinking embedded in these modern absolutes and equipping Catholics, you know, to, to sift through the smokescreen mm-hmm. and expose the absurdities of these modern absolutes. And it actually came about in response to trying to figure out how I'm going to overcome an obstacle that I faced. So I started writing this book like being like, I'm going to write a book on relativism. I'm going to like flex my intellectual muscles on relativism, you yeah. know? And so I started, I collected all of the data and I actually started typing the manuscript, like getting it out. And then I came across this claim that relativism was dead. Relativism is dead. That's the claim, both within Christian circles and non-Christian circles. And hmm. that we, and, and so the label, it comes from, um, there was a particular individual who was using the label, but it came from two priests. I can't remember the name of the podcast, but two priests who do a podcast, and they had labeled it the new moral absolutism. And the claim being that relativism is old news, that's dead, we're in a shame culture now, implying absolutes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy yeah, cow. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, it is true, right? And I thought to myself, man, am I like not going to have a target audience for this book? This book is moot. It's futile. It's a pointless <laughs> task to write this book on relativism if relativism is dead, yeah. right? And so I began to think through it and looking at all of these modern absolutes, Hmm. and I was like, holy cow, relativism is not dead. It's even more sinister than it was before because it's masked behind these absolutes that everybody's just going to like intuitively adopt. Like, I don't want to be a white supremacist, so I'm just going to go along with modern culture and how they define white supremacy, which technically speaking is relativism and i point that out in the book and then they begin to adopt the relativistic thinking i don't want to be intolerant that's a bad thing right that's kind of a bad icky thing bad guy kind of thing i don't want to be intolerant so i buy into the modern thinking of thy shall not be intolerant and i end up falling into relativism so that's what the book is all about but i'm sure that when it comes out i'll come back on (laughs) yes yes oh yeah so that was a teaser my problem is that like I just really am better than most people. <laughs> I'm like so, and you could say I'm supreme. I'm a supremacist, and I'm white. It's a problem. Well, it's well, a problem. Well, it's I also okay. like supreme pizza, and so like, and I'm still white. We'll edit that part out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I would assume that was tongue in cheek. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I do like supreme pizza. Though. I mean, <laughs> it's my go-to. Uh, uh, so this evening we're gonna drink. We're drinking a little bit of Early Times Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, uh, hundred proof. It's bottled in bond. It is a long established uh, bourbon established in eighteen sixty. Early Times. Uh, it, it's our tribute. It's their tribute to the historic bourbon, making honors at the qu- the quality standard for the U.S. bottled in bond in eighteen ninety seven. This act requires the whiskey to be here. We, go. we were talking about this right before the show. That uh, this act requires the whiskey to be a product of one distiller that is distilled at an American distillery during this uh, distilling season. The whiskey must be aged for at least four years under government supervision and secured federal in federal buildings and bottled at a hundred proof. No kidding, government supervision. I wonder who's who's the guy who's like like. Like, you know, then you get a package and handling fee. Like, who's doing the handling? Like, we paying some government? It's the government. Oh, great. So, you mean taxes? So, oh. 
a couple of weeks ago, Carlo, we, Dave uh, at, posed a question about what is happiness, mm. and I, I punted the question for a future episode, not knowing that you were going to be on, but thought this is a perfect time this to talk it. about it. I'm so Indeed. glad you're here. We so, can do it. We'll talk about it on the other side I'm of the break. Confused. We will be right back. For over 35 years, Select International Tours has been planning pilgrimages all across the world, and they've been doing that for a reason. Yeah, if you guys have listened to our show, then you know that we just got back from Ireland. Uh, we used Select International Tours to book our pilgrimage to Ireland. Everything went just great. It went exactly how we planned it. Right. right? In fact, one of the pilgrims uh, said that it was his the best pilgrimage he's ever been on. Right. I mean, so the thing is, they know what they're doing. If, if you want to go on a nice pilgrimage uh, that's really you know oriented around experiencing the Catholic faith um, in some of the most historic, most important sites all over the world for the history of our faith, go to selectinternationaltours.com. They have pilgrimages going everywhere in the world all the time just because you know they, they do it so well, everybody wants to use them. That's right. And if you go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow, you'll be one of the first ones to know when we're planning our next pilgrimage, which spring or summer 2024. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So go to selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow. We want to thank Select International Tours for being a sponsor of our show, The Catholic Man Show. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan, special guest, the one and only Cajun uncaging the truth. That's what it is. Carlo Broussard. The other day I was talking to somebody in the Catholic Answers office. I think it was Chris Check. And we were talking about you guys, and I was trying to remember exactly what y'all said. Cy <laughs> Kellett knows it, though. He got it. He says it all the time now. Does he? Does he? Yeah. That's right. that cut on? Yeah. I started that. Yes. Yeah. And like we always we always talk about you yes. guys in y'all's podcast, like Catholic <laughs> Answers Live. <laughs> The Cajun uh, and Cajun the truth. That's right. It's great. That's, that's great. <laughs> TM. Sorry, Carlo. Yeah. <laughs> Just tried. We want the royalties. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as Adam mentioned right on the other side of the break, we were talking about happiness the other day. Yeah. Well, it came up. We weren't actually talking about it, but right. it came up. And then I realized as we were talking about it that I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, that I was confused and. It's like, no, it seems like it's nothing. I know what joy is, but it seems like happiness is... This is what I was saying the other day, so I'm just I'm just setting it up. It seems like it's just like a feeling, which is stupid. And like I don't want to talk about feelings on the Catholic man show, you know? Well, if you were a being such that the highest good of your nature mm-hmm. was satisfaction of feelings, mm-hmm. you were just a physical being without a spiritual soul, okay. and feelings was the highest function an animal. of your being, of your okay. nature, okay. then the satisfaction of those feelings, right? The satisfaction you feel, the pleasurable delight would be the highest kind or form or type of happiness. Mm-hmm. But since we as rational animals mm-hmm. have a higher operation, action, function, in as far as we have spiritual knowledge, spiritual love, right? Intellect, will, that kind of stuff. That means that the satisfaction that we have as a human being is going to be our highest form of happiness, our complete or perfect form of happiness is going to be over and above the satisfaction of our bodily desires okay. or the acquirement or the acquiring of pleasant feelings. Can we back up just for a second? 
Uh, can we give a definition? Do you have a, a definition of what is happiness? The perfection of the thing's nature. Okay. So the the happiness so the, of when, a thing. When a, something is fully actualized to that's right. its potential. Yeah. And, it'd be- and that's determined by the nature of the thing, the kind of thing that it is. So uh, a plant mm-hmm. that's uh, in sunlight and getting watered is a quote-unquote happy plant because the plant is being actualized according to its nature, its potential, right? It's doing what it's meant to do given the kind of thing that it is. It's a plant. And it's not going to be a happy plant if it's like away from the sun, out of sunlight, not getting the water. It's going to what be a bad plant. It's going to die. So it's a happy plant. And as far as it's functioning according to its it, what its nature determines it to do. So plants actually can be happy. Yeah, in in that sense, given the kind of thing that they are, if we define happiness as the perfection of the thing's nature, we can say a plant can be happy. Let me now, ask, let me ask you this: now, Can that, a rock be unhappy? Uh, well, a rock, all the rock can do in its proper operation is to exist, mm-hmm. and so it cannot be unhappy. Because in so far as it exists, it is happy. They have like maximal <laughs> happiness. Now I'm like I'm I'm like using that term in a very restricted, narrow, technical sense of yeah, the sure. perfection of a thing's nature. Sure. But then again, some will even debate: Does a rock even have a nature? So, oh. so like the rock itself, it seems like it does. Does it even have a nature, or is it simply a conglomeration of specific substances that are accidentally? But there is a thing that we call rock. That is true. But there is some legitimate argumentation as to whether that rock here, that piece of rock, actually has a nature or the individual substances accidentally ordered that we call a rock. Yeah, but you can do that with almost anything. Uh, Not necessarily. Because living things, although they are made up of individual, um, individual substances, right? But because there's a substantial unity... It, it is now classified as one thing, like the plant, right? There's a lot of different material stuff that's making up the plant. But because of the soul of the plant, uniting all of that material stuff into a unified being, a unified thing that's mm-hmm. going to operate okay. with for certain ends, act for certain ends, grow towards the light, take in the nutrients from the soil, that is unified, right? So it's not individual substances. It's one substance. All right, you know, so you know I'm, what getting, I think you do. I'm getting really in the weeds. All I know. Right. I know. But here's what I think you do. You take somebody who doesn't think that the rock has a substance and it's not like a unified whole or whatever, and you hit him in the face with one. <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. It felt pretty. It feel integrated to you. <laughs> well, all of those. <laughs> if, if, if it's not an individual substance, you would have individual substances that are accidentally conjoined in such a way that that brings about the hardness, right? Yeah. So it's the hardness that you're feeling, right? These individual substances being accidentally conjoined. Now, mm-hmm. that's a hypothetical. That's what we call a rock. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's one option, right? Okay, so getting- I think a rock is a. I, th- I think a rock is happy. I'm next time I see a rock, I'm gonna be like, hey guys, look at that rock. That is a happy rock. All right, so if Would we look if, at that rock, if we go up on the hierarchy of of being, right? So you got inanimate yeah. rock, animate. Mm-hmm. Without sentient powers like sensation, you have plants, or right. Okay. Uh-huh. So plants can be quote unquote happy in the sense that they're achieve or achieving a, a sort of perfection of their nature. Okay. So if we have a being that has a nature such that it has all the powers that a plant has, but more powers such as sensation and self locomotion, well then that being, insofar as it is achieving its highest operations, sight, hearing, moving. 
it's going to be achieving a quote unquote happiness. So Molly downstairs, mm -hmm. your chocolate lab yep. there, beautiful, yeah. beautiful chocolate Named lab. after Thank our you. lady. Yes. Awesome. So Molly can have, can be quote unquote happy given the kind of thing that determines that kind of happiness, uh -huh. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we go up on the hierarchy of being, we have not only a sentient being and rational animals, not only an animal, but a rational animal. Mm -hmm. So we have everything, all of the powers that plants have, all of the powers that animals have, non-rational animals. But we have other powers, higher powers of intellect and will, not uh, spiritual knowledge, conceptual knowledge, freedom of choice, right? Love, or spiritual love, I should say. These okay. kinds of powers are determinative determine the kind of thing we are so our happiness a human happiness is going to be determined determined by our nature which includes not only the vegetative powers the sentient powers but also the rational powers so for us as human beings the highest kind of happiness, the complete or perfect happiness for us as human beings is going to be all of these powers operating on full cylinders, right? All, everything's firing. All cylinders are... Okay. The cylinders fire. Is yes, that how that's correct. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay so we, everything's just like humming, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. Like people often talk about... It, anyway, I'm not going to get political there, but things are humming, right? Right. It's just like, it's like perfection because all of our powers are operating to their highest maximum capacity. Now, this is very important whenever we're talking about human happiness because although complete and perfect human happiness involves bodily sensation and pleasantness of the senses, it's going to involve the, the knowing of truth and the experiencing of the good, loving the good, right, mm -hmm. and love, okay, knowledge and loving relationships. But if the the orderness or the or the or the rest of the senses as aquinas says if the pleasantness of the senses is taken away that's a kind of happiness that's curtailed at least in this life because you know obviously we're not always having pleasantness of senses or rest of senses sure. but we can still have these higher the highest or a higher kind of happiness when the rational powers are functioning properly, when we're coming to know the truth and you're learning or you're experiencing loving relationships. And so in this life, mm -hmm. there's going to be a mixture of unhappiness insofar as you don't have rest of the senses all the time and higher kinds of happiness or the inverse where you're lacking the highest kind of happiness of knowing truth and experiencing loving relationships and friendship. But you're experiencing pleasant senses, pleasantness of the senses of, you know, indulging in food, drink, and sex. So understanding our nature. Not that they're mutually exclusive. They're not. Right. They're not. But once we understand our nature and all the powers that we have as rational animals, that's going to help us figure out what the heck is human happiness. Mm -hmm. The perfection of our nature. Well, what is our nature? Rational animal. So all of the powers that go with being animal, all of the powers that go in being with rational, when all of those powers are humming. That's perfection of human nature. That's human happiness. Okay, so this is going to show my ignorance here, but I just, like, for definitional purposes, like, to order myself in, in this understanding, is powers what actualize the potency of a, in, in something? Okay, well, okay, so you have a power, right? and a power is like your intellect, and the power will be actualized. So there's a certain potential, so, like, my intellect has the potential to know 
Aquinas says five ways with perfection. Right? I think about potentiality and power as being basically the same thing. Uh, that's, what, that's kind of what I was trying to figure out. Like, not necessarily. Not necessarily. The power is like what moves moves for, the, for moves us. It? For us, a power is going to be a capacity. A power is going to be a uh-huh. a potential that needs to be actualized. So we have a power, the intellect, mm-hmm. which ke- provides me the power in the uh, the capacity in virtue of which the principle in virtue of which I can understand or know something. Now, for us as finite creatures, that power, intellect, in order to be in act, moves from potency to act, right? Mm -hmm. But in God, that power, the intellect, the divine intellect, doesn't move from potency to act. It's always in act. I see how they were definitely different for him. So this is why you can't identify power with potentiality. But for us, they're they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they end up being the same anyway. Yeah. The power, when in potency, has to be moved to act. So the intellect is a power, and in order to be in act and understand, it's got to be moved to that actual state. Right. See, that's what I thought, Carlo. Uh, you, know you know what? Know? Yeah. <laughs> I knew it. And here's, here's, here's the tie it all together. When the intellect is in act, knowing and understanding reality, therein lies happiness. We'll be right back. Think of the men in your life, your brother, your father-in-law, your neighbor, your coworker, the guy who sits in front of you in in mass every single Sunday. How are you going to help these guys find freedom as sons of God and help them start living the Christian life? I mean, that's what we're called to do in baptism, right? And one concrete way we can do that to make disciples of men is invite them to Exodus 90 that begins January 9th, 2023. Exodus 90 leads men on a 90-day journey through the book of Exodus taking them back to the fundamentals of the faith. This is prayer, self-denial, and brotherhood. Dave, the crazy thing is 99% of the people who do Exodus 90 report greater freedom from worldly attachments when they finish. And what's more, doing Exodus 90 in a fraternity versus going it alone can actually make or break a man's 90 days. Right. So again, ask yourself, who are the men in your life that could benefit from doing Exodus 90 this year? Think of their faces in your mind. Right now. Now, outside of your mind, write them down. Make an actual list. The worst thing they can do is say no to you. That's right. And then take action. Take the list of prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit about it and ask the Holy Spirit how you can help them. The Exodus 90 team has created a free resource. This guide will help you in your journey to freedom and help you share the journey with other men. Check out exodus90.com slash catholicmanshow to get your free guide. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Here, sitting with Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers. Go check out his new book that just came out. Shop.catholic.com is where you can find it. Uh, answering the Protestant challenges. Nope. No. Meeting the Protestant response. Ah, meeting the Protestant. How response. to answer common comebacks to Catholic arguments. Very good. Very good. It would be a great stocking stuffer for all, absolutely uh, for all Catholics. You can also does every chapter in that book start with that's not what the Catholic Church believes. <laughs> 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 no, it actually starts with this is what the Catholic Church. Believes. Okay, because I feel and like here's the argument the way, for it. It's a positive, meet, not a negative. The way you meet the Protestant response is well, that's actually not what the Catholic Church believes. Yeah. So the idea. And then you say more things after that. The idea is that I I go through the major Catholic arguments, like the biblical text that we've provided in our tradition, uh-huh. in support of certain beliefs, and then asking and answering the question: What do Protestant apologists say in response? 
to our appeal to those biblical texts in support of our beliefs? Why don't they buy the Catholic interpretation? Because often I always get, when people are getting started in apologetics, like, why don't Protestants get it? These texts are so clear, right? Well, there are actually reasonable answers mm. as to why they don't get it. And I'm sure why Protestants are thinking, why don't Catholics absolutely, get it? I mean, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to give a voice to Protestant apologists, past and present, to to articulate right why they don't think these texts support or prove the Catholic position. And then ultimately I show why those responses fail and are not successful to refute the Catholic argument, allowing for us to continue appealing to these texts. Mm -hmm. And so it's a part two apologetics, because so often we get involved in biblical apologetics and we learn these texts and we're like, yeah, man, you know, and you take that initial step to provide the biblical evidence for our belief, but often Catholics are not trained or prepared for the counter. counter, Yeah. yeah. So it's countering the counter, rebut the rebuttal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, again, another good stocking stuffer. You can go also to catholicmancho.com. We have hats, uh, shirts, glasses, drinkware, drink yeah, drinkware yeah. sent to you by Jim. Yeah, Jim. Jim will take care of that for us. My son used to yeah. wear, used to because I think he's like worn out now. But yeah. I remember you guys have had given me a Catholic Man Show hat for as a gift, nice. and I don't normally wear hats, so but my son does. Yeah. So my son was wearing the Catholic Man Show hat nice. for quite some time. Who was that Very a nice. YouTuber who came out like saying he was converting? Uh, Cameron Bertie. Uh, Bertuzzi? Bertuzzi, yeah. Cameron, yeah. yeah. He, He's he a was, Catholic Man Show f- fan? He was wearing well, one of our Catholic Man Show t-shirts. We don't know if he listens to the show, but he had our t-shirt on uh, in yeah. the video when yeah. he said he was going to become Catholic. Wow. Yeah. Which Fantastic. Is awesome. It's, it's awesome that he's coming. Yeah, yeah man. The cool thing is that he's becoming Catholic, not right. that he had our shirt on. <laughs> yeah. Both and, brother. But I but like that. But, that's I'm, a, that's Catholic but I am fan. glad he wore the shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Carlo, you've been here. Uh, you've been here in Tulsa for for this week. Uh, yeah, man. We were able to maximize all of the potential of uh, the things that you've been able to do here in, in Tulsa. We were making the intellect in act. That's and right. Thus achieving human happiness or on the path. I felt good about it. Uh, but in the car on the way uh, on the way back to your hotel today, I, I posed something talking about knowing that we were going to talk about happiness, and you were like. Uh, I don't know if that's true, <laughs> or I don't know if I. I we're gonna it, get it into experience. that here, right? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I think okay. it's good. I think All it'd right. be a good idea. Wait, ask me first. I want to. I want to. Well, I I, I, I posed right. the question that I, or, or <laughs> I I made the statement that I thought like the best way to start off talking about like the moral life or the good life or you know it, is to start off by talking about happiness because everybody wants to be happy, and so like mm. we should like in, to start evangelizing people. You should you know it's a good start. Is happiness. Now that's not what the catechism does, because you know the catechism goes like God, creation, uh, Christ, His Church. Yeah, well, it basically like, walks through the creed, right. essentially. But, but, not the catechism as a whole. But in the moral life section, mm-hmm. the catechism follows Aquinas on this, and starting with beatitude, with, which okay. is happiness. Which is happiness. So it is. It is true that technically and objectively speaking, the starting point is the end. You look to the end, and the end determines yeah. the means by which you, you know, yeah. you, you take in order to achieve that end of happiness. So it's true, but in conversation, the, David, the, the conversation we're having is like, okay, let's say I'm talking to somebody who's engaging in the same-sex sexual activity. And I, as a Catholic, I've been you know, inspired by these Catholic speakers who talk about happiness all the time. Yeah. Right? And so I go to this person who's engaging in such behavior, and I say, that's not going to make you happy. And so I'm inviting you to a life of happiness. Now, objectively speaking, that's true. Mm-hmm. But my, I, I, and I'm not like 
so don't would position to take care. I'm just thinking out loud here, but I've often thought, well, I'm sympathetic to the homosexual person or the person who's engaging that sort of behavior, same sex sexual activity, to simply assert back. I am happy. I am happy, right? I mean, man, I have. I was for the longest time in in isolation, had no no companionship. I was an emotional wreck, and now I found this person, and I'm like emotionally satisfied. I have yeah. companionship, and I even getting some physical pleasure. I'm pretty darn happy. Well, do you know that statistically, people who engage in such behavior go to sleep at night and they're not happy in the darkness of their room. And they're, you know, like for some people, yeah, that's probably the case where they're mm-hmm. feeling that shame and that guilt. And right, maybe that so. very person will have a moment like that in the future, but. Yeah, but, but, but there's going to be somebody who's mm-hmm. like putting his or her head on the pillow at night and feeling perfectly content, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so I worry about that approach because it's just it's it's just wheels spinning in the air because it's the question is not really whether it's going to make us happy because that presupposes the ultimate fundamental question is is this behavior moral or immoral like is this what right. i ought to be doing as a yeah. human being happiness is a consequent consequence of the the right or wrong behavior, right? Mm-hmm. In in doing right behavior, then you're achieving perfection of human nature and therefore happiness, yeah. right? And then if you're doing wrong behavior, then technically speaking, like that's not operating according to your full perfection and therefore unhappy in Aristotle and Aquinas' sense, but with physical pleasure and emotional comfort and stuff, like there is a, a legitimate kind of happiness that's being experienced. Sure. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. So in evangelization, the real question of trying to invite people or persuade people out of that lifestyle is to try and show them why such a lifestyle is not the right kind of lifestyle for us as human beings. Yeah. It's, the, it's immoral, right? Now, it's true that you might persuade some people with stats and showing the negative experiences of some people very living few. that lifestyle. Probably very, very few. But that person I'm talking to can always just say, it's not me. Right. That might be that other person, but that ain't me. Yeah. Right. Right. So yeah. I, I, I'm often uh, of the opinions, at, at least currently in my thought process right now, that the real question that we need to be getting at is, is it the right kind of human behavior? Now, that person might not give a flip about human morality, right? right. More, well, more human morality. Well, I guess so, because angels are not humans. So it's human morality. Thinking out loud here. They might not give a flip about that. And if that's the case, well, then, you know, you can't play the game of reason, right? right? So it's just like, pray for them, go on your merry way. But if they have some sensibilities to the moral life, well, then the, the conversation is going to have to proceed as to whether you think this is moral or immoral. Even the question of love, like people often talk about, well, same-sex sexual activity is not loving activity. Well, in that person's mind, it is. Right. They're expressing love to the other individual. So we have to get back to the more fundamental question, well, what is love? Well, the good of the other. Well, what is the good? Ah, so here we are again. Back to perfection of natures, right? Mm -hmm. Back to what's appropriate activity for the kind of thing it is. Right. So we're back to the morality question. And so that's what I don't think I'm willing to say what the the best way is to start that conversation. We were in the Chick fil A uh, drive thru. Having this conversation. I I could eat there seven times a day. (laughs) (laughs) But but I actually agree. Like, so when he. You know, when we fleshed this out, I was like, yes, I actually agree with this. Uh, I agree with, with, yeah. with this idea. My only thought was that if you start out with happiness, even though we, we, you get to the moral, the moral life, 
everybody wants to be happy. So you can at yeah. least on in a language aspect, you can start so on some common, common ground, ground yeah. and then say, okay. And I'm I'm sympathetic to that. See, I just don't think that you could say there's a best way to start that conversation because everybody's it's a conversation. Different. Everybody's so like different. And a conversation Absolutely. takes place yeah. with a individual person. Absolutely. And so you, the best place to start that conversation with that individual is what is it that is in uh, like attracting them to have that conversation at all? What? Why it is it that this person is even willing to discuss it with you in the first place? Right. Okay. Whatever that reason is, that's the best place to start. Start. Yeah. That's good insight. Yeah. Yeah. The problem, like with the happiness issue, is that we're starting off with such diverse understandings, understandings of happiness. Yeah. We're just we're just equivocating on the term. Although, I mean, technically not, because what they're describing as happiness, we affirm is a kind of happiness. It's just a lower kind of happiness. Mm-hmm. That's 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 comporting with or matching up with lower goods yeah. of human nature but that's just disordered and not in harmony with the higher goods of the measure of reason and what reason dictates for the type of behavior involving our sexual powers right and so i mean they're not wrong totally speaking and saying that yeah i'm happy in this behavior because uh-huh. there are some goods that they're achieving considered in and of themselves right they just we're able to see by the light of reason they're they're not placed in their proper place or ordered within the whole of human nature which the higher goods of intellect and will and the measure of reason dictates those lower goods okay so just be clear I mean, I know Aquinas says that the, the highest form is the intellectual life, right? The highest form of happiness is... Because that's the highest power that we have, okay, or so highest... The hierarchy go- yeah. is as what? Well, yeah, so the, the, the will isn't a rational appetite, so the will is subservient to the intellect. So the intellect is the highest power that we have. Mm-hmm. So intellect and will constituting the powers of the soul, having their seat in the soul... And then you have all of the bodily Appetite, powers. The carnal you know, pleasure. The car, like. Yeah, with regard to pleasure. Now, also, you're going to have the highest power of sense, which would be normally identified as sight. And then other sensory powers, the achievement of their goals, like seeing things, is going to bring satisfaction to the very being that has the power. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the uh, powers of animality, such as you, you know taking a nutrition Right. Well, that would be vegetative, but also uh, propagating the human species. Right. So whenever we engage in that sort of activity, that would be part of our engaging in carnal, in carnal pleasures. Yeah, carnal pleasures. Yeah. Okay. So you can divide up the spiritual and carnal. Yeah. Okay. All right, I just want to make sure I understood the hierarchy as well. Okay. Uh, when we get back, we're going to be continuing co- this conversation with Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers. Go check out his new book, shop.catholic.com. Call him whenever he is on Catholic Answers Live, 888-318-31-TRUTH. We'll be right back. The hosts of The Catholic Man Show have produced a practical, helpful, and spiritual uplifting book that helps parents make the connection between church and the domestic church. Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place reminds every Catholic family of their daily duties, responsibilities, and privileges to help each other become saints. That endorsement is from Father Leo Padalingha. Go check out our new book from Ascension Press. You can go to ascensionpress.com or just Google Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. Pick one up for you, for your family, for your friends. And if you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a review so that way others can be made aware of the book as well. We want to thank Father Leo Padalinghug for his endorsement of our book, Living Beyond Sunday, Making Your Home a Holy Place. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan, special guest, 
Carlo Broussard, the Cajun, uncaging the truth. So, Carlo, I don't know if you remember this, the very first time. I think it was the first time you were on the show. We talked about the four levels of happiness. We did. No, four, four levels of manliness. manliness. But, but oh. you, had, you had changed yeah. it into the four sure. levels of manliness. It's based upon Spitzer's four levels of and happiness. And we yeah. actually determined that there was a fifth level. I don't know did if you we? remember what it was. I did not. It was the Dave. Do you remember that? The Dave. The, the Dave. The Dave, was the, Dave the, was the fifth level was the of happiness. Fifth, fifth level of happiness. Being in your presence. Just being me. Just being you. It's a pretty exclusive level. Mm, so that means you're you're something, a substance in the hierarchy of being yeah. that is above animal, Keep above going. rational mm-hmm. animal, above angelic natures, and mm-hmm. above pure Getting actuality. Getting warmer. Getting warmer. <laughs> so man, there's something above pure actuality. How is that possible, man? Eche homo. <laughs> Uh, so we had an interesting conversation in between the break. You can go check it out on YouTube. Uh, made Carlo blush. Carlo forgot we were live between the breaks. Wait! We're live? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but Dave, you posed, you posed an interesting question. So yeah, um, you know, we're, we're talking about happiness. And, you know, especially in light of what your question to Ad- Carlo, Adam, your, qu- your question to Carlo from earlier about is this a good way to start you know a conversation about um you know in an evangelistic sense right um i think that a lot of people might say no way you know because look at the people who had what we our definition of what of happiness was the perfection of nature nature right the perfection of our nature okay so obviously christ number two is mary yeah okay you're talking about the two people who suffered the most in yeah. the world, right? Right. Um, so it doesn't seem like it does lead to happiness. It seems like it leads to suffering. And maybe and maybe if, the two things are inherently linked. If you know, our universe of thought is restricted to the state of journeying, mm-hmm. the wayfarer state, right, and, and, and being on this side of the veil, mm-hmm. then uh, the answer yes. is yes. Good, good so counterpoint here. I if like there is no complete and perfect happiness of the absolute perfection of our nature that is attainable, then there's there's no point in living for Christ if that's not going to be you have a nihilistic unto us. view of, right. of you know. because yes because living for Christ in this life is going to entail a lack of complete perfect human happiness what is perfect complete human happiness rational animal functioning on all powers perfected and elevated by grace right which can only be achieved in the beatific vision right. of heaven uh, so on this side of the veil there's going to be imperfect happiness. And this is Aquinas' whole point, right? Mm. Beatitude in its completed state for us as human beings is the beatific vision. And beatitude is? The beatific vision. Right, happiness. But, yeah, okay. But a supernatural happiness, not right. just a natural happiness, but a supernatural happiness, which is seeing the divine essence, the beatific vision in heaven. Mm-hmm. On this side of the veil, in this life, in our state of journeying, there can only be imperfect happiness, which means we're going to achieve some kinds of happiness. I know the truth. I have loving relationships. But yeah, like I got a headache today. Well, that's not complete happiness because my I don't have order rest of senses mm-hmm. so I'm experiencing unpleasant feelings right a headache or I don't know my I got a broken knee or whatever it might be right? I've got a fight broken nose or something who knows somebody threw a rock at me yeah so even our lady right even our lady <laughs> our lady and our Lord in this life did not experience the completed and perfect state of human happiness because they were experiencing displeasure in the sensory apparatus, sure. right? The sensory part of our nature. Uh, so, if 
there is no state of existence where I can achieve complete and perfect human happiness, or I'm humming on all cylinders, right? Well, then, yeah, it would be futile. Heaven would not be a destiny worth living for if it weren't a state of complete and perfected human happiness. Right. So, yeah, and if it wasn't better the, than what we've got now, that's right. Then. So, getting to your question about the martyrs, like, should I die for Christ? That's going to make you happy. Well, no, it doesn't. Right. Well, that person's only thinking of this life, this life, right? Yeah. And uh, sensory kinds of happiness, bodily kinds of happiness, carnal kinds of happiness, right? And not conceiving of the idea that there's another state of existence where there would be such perfect and complete happiness where you have rest of the senses in a completed state, not just rest of the senses, but experiencing intense pleasure throughout the entire body yeah. due to the delight of the soul and seeing the divine essence in heaven. And so I think this is another argument against starting off with happiness in the, for like the evangelical conversation, because it might have a tendency to jump straight, straight to martyrdom, and it's like, that, now, that could... Now, here's something else to keep in mind. So, St. Paul says, like, I rejoice in my sufferings, right? So, he's, like, experiencing happiness in his sufferings. Now, right. in one sense, he's not ha- experiencing perfect happiness because he's enduring the bodily pain, mm-hmm. but he can still rejoice and experience a kind of happiness knowing that it's ordering him to the glory to come in heaven. Right. And even it's, I mean, it has been you know, uh, documented in the lives of the saints for some saints that God can give a grace of sensory pleasure within the midst of the suffering if he sees it fit. Uh, he could give that grace to where a person is legitimately happy in the, in the midst of the martyrdom, right? Uh, so God can give that grace. Sure. Whether he is with, uh, in, um, I guess, uh, withholding or pro, uh, pro, um, impeding the physical pain, stopping the physical pain, mm-hmm. Uh, blocking the physical pain, he could do that, even for somebody who's... Or you, or you but just that know... Be, you but just, that wouldn't be an ordinary... When your thing. eyes are fixed on a good that's so much great, you know, it, I- infinitely it, greater than the minuscule suffering, you know, yeah. even though it might seem like a lot of suffering from other, our perspective, to other people, right. mm-hmm. for that person going through it with their eyes fixed yeah. on heaven, the suffering seems, yeah. uh, you know, presumably but, rather mild. But that's right. also why... Uh, the but suff- the complete and perfect would not be achieved until the beatific vision. I just want to get right, that on right, the table. Right, oh, right, Okay, yeah. But that's why, like, you know, like the dark night of the soul is such a more intense suffering, right? Because it's a suffering not necessarily of our lower faculties, or but of our higher intellect and, and spiritual sufferings, correct? Well, I, I'm not trained in spiritual theology, and I haven't read much on the dark night of the soul. So, right. Well, but uh, I mean, you understand, like, if you have a des- if you're in desolation, like, if your well, prayer is in well, de- well, if the desolation. I mean, f- from my experience, like, I, I don't, I haven't studied enough to know what a sort of a spiritual desolation would, what that experience would be. I haven't researched well, there's enough. Also, there's also I mean, a huge the, difference between desolation and, and the dark, dark night of the soul. soul. Right. I, I was yeah, just trying. Yeah. I was trying to break it. Down. Like, like right. if you're talking yeah. about a lack of consolation, like in my mind, because I haven't studied it enough, I'm I'm only within the universe of the body and the senses. Right. I'm not getting fuzzy wuzzy feelings when I pray, mm-hmm. but I'm still praying. Right. Even though I'm not getting the physical consolations. So that that experience of the progression of it's a more perfect life, offering. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be in the progression of the spiritual life where our Lord's going to pull the lollipop out the out the mouth and say, mm-hmm. okay, do you love me or the lollipop, right? So he's going to take away the physical consolations. Both. I love both. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, he might take away the physical consolations, um, 
but with regard to the dark night of the soul, I would have to do more reading to make any further comments yeah, on that. I just fair. simply, I just simply haven't studied spiritual theology enough to make any sort of definitive comments on that's it. That's fair. That's fair. I have manifested my ignorance. I bow in humility. Mm. <laughs> Does it, do you feel happy doing that? Both and. <laughs> I feel happy and unhappy. Unhappy okay. because of my pride and my vanity, but happy mm. because. I acknowledge the truth. I'm ignorant. Oh. Is pride a power? Uh, well, it's not like a power of the nature because it's not intellect or will. Uh, pride would be, a righteous pride would be a rightful ordering, a virtue, mm-hmm. right? So it'd be a habitual disposition of the soul for the good with regard to acknowledging uh, my achievement and taking pride in that achievement. So that would be a virtue when it's rightly ordered. Okay. And then the unrighteous pride would be a vice. So not a power. Right. Like, I mean, obviously, virtue, power comes from virtues, but virtue can be used in multiple demented ways. Demented power. Yeah. Right. Well, unrighteous pride would be a, a right. demented power. I don't know if demented right. is the right word, but I well, think it'd be it works. more. It wouldn't be a power in the sense of like intellect or will or like sight or hearing. It would be power in the sense of like loosely used mm. term in I the sense of virtue like, or vice. I have the potential to be those things. Well, insofar as you're a rational being, you have a potency uh-huh. to virtue or vice, right? Now you're 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 by nature ordered to be humming in your rational powers, okay. which is going to be virtue. Yeah. So you're naturally ordered to virtue in that sense, right? But you do have a real potency to deviate from that measure of reason. Because I have and will. We, so I guess right. it's Free really will. will. It's really yeah. will that's the power. Yeah, your, your, your will is the power. That's correct. And right. whenever you use your will to deviate from the standard of reason, the measure of reason, order of good in human nature, therein lies the vice mm-hmm. or the sin Right, which would be unrighteous pride. When I have a disordered self-love, lo- disordered love of self, rightfully ordered love yeah. of self, righteous pride. That's a virtue. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. So we can take pride. You can take pride in the Catholic Man right. Show. That is sometimes confusing. Righteous for yeah. I think for kids like. Wait, pride's bad, but we take pride in things, you know. Anyway. Yeah, and it's yeah. so important to, to distinguish those things, like right, like violence. If you if you notice in modern movies, right? Modern like I don't know. I used to watch like uh, The Flash and like Green Arrow. No killing, right? Violence is bad, you know, or whatever. Except they beat people up the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like it, even just violence in and of itself in our modern culture and sensibilities, violence in and of itself is bad. But we always have to distinguish between just or unjust. Did I say unjust? Yeah, just, yeah. just or, or unjust, unjust violence. Right. Mm-hmm. These nuances are crucial, lest we be confused in our thinking. Yes, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you're totally right. And that's, well, just uh, like that's anger, the importance of movies. Yeah, right, the emotion yeah. of anger, yeah. right? I mean, anger Christ is flipping over tables, absolutely. that doesn't mean it was... It can be rightly ordered or disordered, just True. or unjust. So the important thing in order to be happy is to... Uh, I thought I heard the music coming on. Oh, there yeah, it is. There it is, there. yeah. That's so why the, I was shutting up, man. Yeah, but the, so the importance is to make sure that your will is it's ordered properly. Absolutely, according to what the mind knows to be the good and the true and the beautiful. Okay. We're out of time on the radio. Go check us out on thecatholicmanshow.com. You can check out this full episode, over 350 episodes that we've done over the last six years. Carlo, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys, for having me. It was so much fun. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus.
Okay, so we got to keep going for a little bit. All but right. Funny story is that we uh, our show is on a country radio station in Texas. Are you serious? Yeah. Dead serious. They're hearing us right now. For spiritual Sunday. That is so cool, Sunday. man. So, well, hello K- to Texans. Yeah. K- K-S-E-Y. K-S-E-Y, baby. A country station. Country yeah. country radio station. Wow. I wonder which country song they played before they played you guys. Don't know. Don't Should have been a cowboy. I'm a cowboy, baby. <laughs> Not that I was one, say, I Johnny Cash. I was going to say Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash would probably hey, be do, the Hey, do you know my 15-year-old Savannah? So she's like I, no, gorgeous. I haven't met her. Right? Okay. You haven't met her? Mm-mm. So she has this dream. She's saving up her money to buy a Ford Dooley. Okay. And her dream is to marry a cowboy okay. and live on a ranch, raising right. horses and farm animals. Did you know that? That is it. I mean, Isn't that cool? Yeah, so so do you, sounds do you, a lot like people so, in Oklahoma. Yeah, I was about to say, do you think Oklahoma's a good place <laughs> yeah, for that? So I know plenty of those people. <laughs> All right. So, so does she have any experience raising like animals? Well, she she used to work on a ranch when she was six and seven. So when we lived in Washington State, okay. we had a dear friend of ours who had a little mini ranch. Um, I get farm, mini farm, ranch. I know that this is supposed to be like a distinction between the two, but I'm conflating them or whatever. Yeah. So they had a mini farm. She had a couple of horses and some goats. And so once a week, Dominic and Savannah, I think Dominic was nine at the time. Savannah was like six and a half. They would go to uh, this house, this lady's house, and tend to the farm, tend to the animals and work on the ranch. And then she would give them horse lessons, you know, riding lessons. They oh, would cool. get to ride the horse and all of that. And from that day on, from then on, man. She, she made the decision. Oh, yeah. She fell in love with There's the There's something about girls and horses. <sighs> yeah. They just like, they it's fall cool, in love. Man. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool. It's so it's such a cool thing. So since then, she's always, she, she always wanted a, a cowboy and a ranch, man. And a horse, I presume. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. otherwise, what do you need yeah. the dually truck for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aside from sure. we're just looking cool, right? Yeah, we're like driving on the interstate, you know, or throughout town, and like she's got her phone and she she's taking pictures of duallys all the time. Hmm. Yeah, Carlo, I did have a question. Terrible gas mileage. She knows that, right? She knows that. Okay. That's why she's gonna marry marry a rich, rich. Oh, a rich cowboy. cowboy, a rich that's cowboy. Right. That's, that's the <laughs> distinction. Okay, now those are harder to find. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Juan, go ahead. On on happiness, <clears throat> uh, at moments you have like an intellectual ascent. You understand something. Yeah. But you also can be sad. Sure. Because like let's now say now you like, have to change your life like or a, something. Like a, yeah. Yeah. That or or there's also like 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 a, a loss in the family, right? Like yeah. You're, you're happy of you you have understand what happened and you're okay with it. So can you be happy and sad at the same time? Yes, because you can distinguish kinds of happiness. So we would just follow Aquinas and say you're experiencing imperfect happiness. So, you know, you might have some sort of displeasure within the the body or emotional displeasure of sadness, right? But you have an intellectual delight in knowing the true, the good, and the beautiful. Mm. And so you're going to have a mixture of unhappiness and happiness, right? Pleasure and displeasure. Pleasure in the spiritual sense. And then displeasure, whether emotional, psychological, or bodily, you know. So it's just going to be a mixture of both. And we will never achieve a state of happiness where it is pure. Let's use that term, pure happiness, devoid of all unhappiness, until we get on the other side of the veil in the beatific vision. So is 
if happiness is the perfection of our nature, is sadness defined as the like imperfection Void. of our nature, or sadness is like? Yeah, there would be a lack. It it would be a it would be considered as a evil of some sort. So we we would define sadness that way, and we wouldn't yeah. we wouldn't just say oh sadness is just kind of like this bad like feeling. It's like not just emotional state. No, it, actually it, would, is. it would be a privation, right? It's a lack a of, lack of being, a lack of what ought to be in the human nature, which is the joy experience, even in the emotional state. So plants are sadder than humans. Uh, well, we kind of say uh, sad. Because when they don't have emotion, as much they, being. Well, they don't ha- I mean, if you want to define it like that, yes, I would agree with you. Mm-hmm. But when we say sad, we kind of normally um, equate that with emotions, like that's, an emotional That's, that's what I'm kind of getting at. It's but like, plants don't have emotions, so they're not going to experience a lack, a, a, a lack of due emotion, mm-hmm. right? So they don't have emotions. That's a lack, but that's not evil. Evil is not a, just simply a lack of being. Like, the tree does not have sight, but it's not evil that the tree does not see. Right. Or the rock so does not see. Nature. That's right. right. But if Molly downstairs does not see, that's a that's evil. a real evil because a it's a privation dog. of a good that n- the nature of the thing requires. Plant nature doesn't require emotional satisfaction. Right, right. right. So there's not going to be any lack of happiness relative to emotions. Mm-hmm. But for Molly, because animals have emotions as well, uh, just not guided by the conceptual knowledge, right? Molly can experience a legitimate kind of emotional distress and thus be lacking in dog happiness. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, it just seems happiness. like the thing that we call sadness actually is not the opposite of happiness. Like, for instance, let's say as you progress, you come in like the in your relationship with Christ, and you're moving like more into like a deeper reality, right? And you get to this place where you start to have now a good view of sin. And you look at the world at, at now from this deep, deep, passionate love of Christ and experience a great sadness because of the like because okay, of sin yeah. in the world. Okay, right. your scales I'm, have been I'm happier. I'm moving up in happiness. That's right. But that upward movement is actually creating an emotional response on this side of the veil that I, we would call sadness. So but it doesn't see it seems like they're actually not opposite of each other. What we call sadness right because but at the same time that emotional distress over sin in the world is not going to be present for the blessed in the heaven in, in heaven the beautiful sure. vision right on the other side of the veil that sadness is precluded from the perfect happiness of heaven even though uh, they come even though they have knowledge of sin in the world this mm-hmm. is why we talk about the blessed in heaven even knowing those in hell not being sad uh, because of their knowledge of and seeing the divine essence and knowing of the perfect ordered wisdom and justice of God, mm-hmm. rejoicing in that or, that ordered goodness, right, precluding all sadness, but because you, because the sin is seen as perfectly fitting within the whole order of the divine providence. It, ju- it just seems though that if if happiness and sadness were truly opposite of each other, as you grow in one, the other should diminish. 
right? Uh, if if they were truly opposites, like, you can't you couldn't logically grow, opposite. You of couldn't each other. grow in both at the same time. Yeah. So in this situation, if you if you're growing in happiness by right. developing this deeper relationship with Christ, yeah, and all of a sudden that brings you to more sadness because all this, you know you see the sin, seem, right. look at sin. So it seems like they are not actually opposite of each other. Right, they're not opposite in a logical sense, right? Yeah. Such that you, ha- if you're sad, you cannot be happy in any sense whatsoever. And if you're happy, you cannot be sad in any sense whatsoever. That, that, that yeah. would not be true. Right? So would you say that it is actually a good to be sad about sin? Yes. Our Lord says it himself. Blessed are those blessed are those who mourn fantastic response fantastic yeah anytime you can quote christ <laughs> as an answer it's well, always jesus, yeah, because jesus said this that's yeah. right well but that on this side of the veil that is a proper emotional response mm-hmm. to the evil to be sad over yeah. the lack of the good so that would be a happiness like being sad it actually would be a form, uh, of, a form, a form of, of happiness because yeah. you're operating you personally according to your own proper nature so mm-hmm. that kind of sadness over the good, I, I wouldn't say. I mean, it's a lack of emotional pleasantness, but it's appropriate given our nature on this side of the veil. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how to uh, reconcile those two yet. I'd have to think that through a little bit. So there is a, a lack of emotional rest and, and pleasantness, but at the yeah. same time, it's a proper and ordered response to the evil in this world which is appropriate for my nature. I suspect that there is a form of rest in it that, um, you know, even though it might bring sad, it might bring tears. Yeah. um, You still are, like, you're still, the reason you're sad, the reason you're sad is because of love. That's right. That's right. right. I mean, it's that's. I mean, that's why Jesus is crying. That's why he's weeping. Right. Well, even and, the and anger, having even tears anger of you know, over, like blood, yeah. even anger over injustices. I, this is a good question, David. I've never thought about it. I mean, even anger over an injustice is a rightly ordered anger. That's not emotional pleasantness, mm-hmm. right? The, the emotions are disturbed and aroused in that way. Uh, but it's ordered in the sense that it's a proper response to the stimulus to the mm-hmm. object as seen by reason so there there's a certain order there there so there's a certain perfection there um but but how does that how does that reconcile or jibe with there being no emotional distress by way of anger for in the beatific well not when souls don't have emotions right now but in the glorified body right when we get our bodies back so i think that so i don't know i'd have to think about it i would try to distinguish it this is what i would try to do distinguish it as like okay you might have an emotional anger like you know, uh, uh, anger response and putting that in air quotes, but that doesn't mean that you're actually disturbed. So, you know, when you watch an argument, a debate between, if there's an argument that breaks out and you, we've all seen this where one side, one person is kind of calm and just saying certain things. The other person is very emotional right. and it's very clear who's right. Okay. This person knows that they're right. That's why they're not, I'm not being disturbed. They might be, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, giving forceful responses. But at the same time, they're not getting angry. They're not, you know, so I think that you could say kind of make an analogy there with the righteous anger when you might have a, a response, a vigorous, loud response. But at the same time, it doesn't disturb your inner peace. Yeah. Because, you know. What I did yeah. was right. I, then, I don't, I'm not like stressed out about it later. Yeah. And then one thought that just occurred to me is like, on the other side of the veil, in the, beati- I mean, the glorified body in the new heaven and the new earth, there are no objects 
such that I could have the proper human response of anger because there's no sin or evil or an injustice. Right. So, so I, I mean, if, now that I'm thinking about it out loud, we could say that the rightly ordered emotional response to an injustice that we call righteous anger is a perfection of a human being, given that you have such an object to respond to. Yeah. But when that object is no longer there, mm-hmm. you're just not going to have that type of emotional response ever, right? Yeah. I think you so have that's to, the reason why you wouldn't have the righteous anger. You have to say that given Christ's body. response yeah. in the temple. Right, right, because there's no imperfection of Christ, right? That was right. absolute human perfection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If your will is a slave to your emotions, is it... it is there a way for you to still grow in virtue and grow in the moral life? Well, I mean, it, I mean, you can grow in some virtues. Yeah, the way know? is the way is to stop making your will a slave to your emotions. Right. Well, well I'm it, asking. I'm playing the interviewer. Yeah. To the interviewee. <laughs> I'm asking. I'm sit, this Next is like, question. This is like well, me if, teeing it up for. Like if, I'm asking if, him. Yeah. If we're talking about a particular slavery, the will through just effort. To answer. You had a question. The will through effort will have to pull away and and free itself from that slavery. It's not virtue yet because whenever there's a tension there, there's mm-hmm. not virtue because yeah. the virtue is the humming. Right. right. Uh, talking, getting back to what we were talking about earlier. So, the incont, uh, the, the continent man, the man who forgoes the lust, the um, immoral sexual activity, even though he's drawn to it. Right? That's not the virtue of chastity yet. The virtue of chastity is going to be like, I recognize it's an evil, but I have no drawing to yeah. that. There's no habit- attachment. To habitual response. That's yeah. right. That's right. So, uh, so for the will to free itself from that slavery, it's going to be a process. And it's going to be working toward the virtuous state, right? So also you're all, purgatory. So you're on it's the like pur- well. Actually, in purgatory, you don't grow in virtue. You can't. No, but you but you uh, you get you, rid of remnants of sin, of but sin. but but the 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 state of virtue or the habitual dispositions are fixed. After yeah, but you're, you're yeah you, but you can't grow in any. No, virtue. but you've, you've already like it's closed off. But you're reaching to your maximum potential. Right? Uh, only in the sense that you're going to achieve what your God has ordered you to achieve, which is the beatific vision, but you're yeah. not going to grow in any sort of spiritual muscles, right? No. I, I would say yeah. you're moving towards your maximum re- reward. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's which, right. Is, yeah. which is eternal Whether your life. bucket yeah. is, is three gallons, five gallons, 100 gallons, yeah. you gotta, you're filling, it, filling that bucket up nope. to the max. Nope. The, the three-gallon or five-gallon bucket's already completely full at, in purgatory. Is it? Yep. How can it be completely full because if you still charity, have attachment to sin? Because because charity, chari- your, your your charity is fixed. He wrote a book on purgatory. I know that's why. Yeah, I'm well, unhealthy attachments are 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 the. But that's are, why you're not in heaven. Is because it's you're, one of the remnants of sins that's impeding you from the beatific vision. But the theological virtue of charity is already fixed in uh, purgatory. Even even as some theologians would say, the natural virtues are fixed as well. Now, some have said that the the good works that you have done in this life could possibly contribute to your increase in virtue in the next. But there's no work being done in purgatory in virtue of which you increase in virtue, right? Right. No. Because the church has taught that you rest after death and your works are complete. There's no working to be done in purgatory. I'm not even sure what I'm going to do when I get there. Well, you're going to just be passively receiving the purification. Although the church does seemingly teach in paragraph 958 of the catechism that the souls of purgatory intercede for us here on earth. So you would be interceding. 
in virtue of charity, didn't, didn't, exercising charity, but it not being meritorious of increasing in charity like right. it is in this life. Was, so was you Thomas can still exercise that? charity. What? Was Thomas skeptical that the uh, souls in purgatory could pray for... Yes, he, he concluded they could not. That's what I thought. But mm. the church seems to say that they can. I now, like Thomas can. is... Thomas is oh, i got to remember what I, what I wrote on this. Um... One of, I seem like I remember one of the reasons he gives is that they're going to be suffering so much that they're not going to be concerned about. They're going to be preoccupied. Yeah, yeah. Or that they don't have the beatific vision. Another reason he gives is that they don't have the beatific vision. But as I argue in my book, I think you, I mean, the Lord can infuse such knowledge, sure. right, to a soul who does not have the beatific vision in order to pray for somebody else. I mean, we see that in the Old Testament. You know, in Second Maccabees where you right. have Jeremiah and the priest Onias interceding and they ain't got the beatific vision. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but that is just, that is still a good argument. That the, how would they even necessarily be aware of your prayers to them? Well, this the is be, just for this is for a separated soul. Period. Right. Right. Yeah. So even in the, the beatific vision, the blessed in heaven would have cognitive awareness of our requests here on earth because it's a grace being given to them, either by way of seeing it through the divine essence itself, or God just giving them a separate grace yeah. to enhance their mind to know it, because they can't naturally know. Right our requests being made because that's not the that's not because they're not in their human mode of knowledge so they it requires grace to know what's going on here on earth something over and above their nature because they don't have the phantasms they don't have the body to operate with and which is the human mode of knowing they didn't even they didn't achieve dave level of manliness <laughs> the fifth level the elusive fifth level <laughs> Okay, Carl, uh, Carlo, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It was a lot of fun. I oh, man, it. this was a blast. Yeah. Dude, what you talking about, let's man? Do, let's do it Thank again. Thank you let's do it, let's, for the opportunity. Let's do it again soon. Maybe next time I'll have a better voice. <laughs> it it, it all worked talk. out. No. Want uh, anything else? You good? Mucho? Mucho, mucho, mucho. Mucho, right. mucho, mucho. Hi, this is Bishop David Condorla of the Diocese of Tulsa in Oklahoma. So let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate, Despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen.